fellow fiends. Welcome to another terrifying and delectable episode of Nightmare on Film Street. The horror podcast with zero credibility, but all of the blood, ghouls, and gore. Your puny heart can handle. <laughs> Let's give a grave welcome to our hosts, John and Kim. Hello again, fiends, and welcome to Nightmare on Film Street. I'm Kim. I'm John. And this week we are talking Pet Cemetery and Child's Play. That's right, it's a double feature head to head of Tiny Terrors. 1.0. 1.0. Okay. Because... Both of them are getting remakes this year. Yep, that's true. And everybody's excited about one of them. <laughs> I wanted to revisit both of these movies this year. That's kind of why I made it onto the podcast slate. Because I wasn't very familiar with Pet Cemetery, And for some reason, we never seem to watch the first Child's Play movie. We always watch the sequels. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to revisit the old franchise beginnings. Yeah. It was fun. Before we get into this week's episode, though, what is keeping you creepy, John? Well, one real small bit of news that just came out has me very creepy. I want to say excited, but it's it's what's keeping me creepy. Oh, is it what's keeping me creepy? Guys, Lee Whannell, co-creator of the Saw franchise, of Insidious, writer-director of Upgrade, is doing a new Invisible Man movie, and I could not be more excited about it. I'm optimistic. Oh, we have been burning through these Universal Classic Monsters movies, though. That's a mouthful. Uh, And, oh, I love The Invisible Man. My only issue is that, so smartly, Universal has decided Dark Universe disbanded. Yeah. Um, We're not going to do that big action-adventure world because, obviously, everyone hated it. And now they're kind of, they're doing the monsters, but they're doing individual films, so there's, like, no pressure. (laughs) My, My issue, at least... With the Dark Universe, they they decided and they stamped it with a direction that people didn't understand. But there was a cohesion that they had planned on. Yeah. And I'm worried now that there's going to be less cohesion because they're only going to look at, like, what's directly in front of them. And right now, what's directly in front of them is The Invisible Man. Not to say that all these films need to fit together in, like, a fluid uh, universe. Like, I don't want to have the Avengers Universal Monsters. Nope. But... I want them all to be horror films, and I want them all to be monster movies. They might be. Look who's directing The Invisible Man. I said I am optimistic, but cautiously so, because they haven't announced any of the other ones. And who's to say that Blumhouse is not on those? Who's to say that they they are not horror directed? I remain optimistic. (laughs) I'm sure what happened is they looked at Shape of Water and they said, guys, the fuck? If we had just decided to do these one-off stories, that could have been our creature from the Black Lagoon. That would have been great. That would have been amazing. Can you imagine? Like, you're slowly building this arsenal of directors that are redoing the Universal Monster movies. It's like Lee Whannell and Guillermo del Toro. Well, I heard that they're not going to be the traditional Blumhouse budget, so, I mean, they could afford Guillermo if they use that universal money. (laughs) That'd be so great if he actually got to do a creature movie. Which one would you pick for Guillermo del Toro? Oh. Bride of 
Yeah, that's probably your best choice. Um, romantic. You need to give him something romantic. Oh, that's so true. You got to give him a romance. You got to give him some love. You want to give him you want to give him some love that he can just take Sorrow. away from yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> so probably Wolfman. Wolfman. Yeah. He wanted to do Frankenstein, I think. Uh, he, well, here's uh, he would. I bet he would. Steampunky. He likes gadgets and gizmos. I want Guillermo del Toro to do The House of Frankenstein. I want him to do the the first movie where they're all together. I think he could handle that. We're not doing Avengers, John. <laughs> <laughs> okay, my mistake. But it's going to go there. We know it's going to go there. Providing that they're all part of the same, I don't want to say universe again, aesthetic. Yeah, well, hopefully they're not. I would love a bunch of one-off movies with just some really cool reimaginings of these monsters. Not that we need it, but if you got the right person behind it to get me interested in the project, uh, I am totally for it. And I am very excited to see what Lee Winnell has to do. Me too. I think, oh, it's going to be an amazing movie regardless. I'm oh, just worried yeah. about what's next. What it all means. Where does it fit yeah. in the quilt of the monster Yeah, because are we, are, are they going to do another mummy movie? Are they going to nix the Tom Cruise mummy? And are they going to re-release a, the a horror mo- mummy? Mm, Brendan Fraser? Like, uh. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe he's <laughs> going to do it. You know. He could be the mummy this time. What? I don't know. So what else? Uh... Between the last time we talked to you guys and now, Glass also came out, so we saw Glass. Sure did. Um, I don't think either of us were, like, all that excited for it. Neither of us are big into superhero movies. Obviously, you have learned. <laughs> yeah. It was okay. Yeah, it was all right. That's exaggerating. I didn't like it. But whatever. <laughs> it wasn't for There's me. There's no so. sense being mean about it. I'm not being mean. I no, 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 I know. I'm I, saying. That's, that's the, the tone the saying. two of us are putting. We're just <laughs> shrugging our shoulders a bit. Yeah, um... Some people really like it, um, I'm told. I just don't think it added anything to Unbreakable and to bring Unbreakable into the split story at the 11th hour. This movie, I don't think, did either of the films justice. I, th- I think we've only taken away from what Unbreakable did yeah. with every step. Like, with, with Split, with Glass, but... Yeah, like, Unbreakable succeeded in being the only superhero film that not only got my attention, but, like, holds up. We revisited yeah. it before yeah, yeah. seeing Glass. It is wonderful. It is amazing. It is a, a brilliant piece of cinema. Mm-hmm. And it's one of M. Night Shyamalan's best films. I definitely had uh, a lot more to say about it when we were fresh out of the theater. Uh, if you'd like to read our review, uh, it's over at nofspodcast.com. But I uh, just... I feel like I've I've said all I need to say about that movie, either online or to people. And um, I will say the score was super spooky. Yeah. Um. No. Okay. I get. I get your. Eh. It didn't fit the movie. I thought it was way too dark for what the movie was, but felt really horror. So I would not be surprised if M Night Shyamalan has a horror movie up his sleeve. Oh, I'd love to see. I him feel go like back he's writing in the world of horror right now because Glass was not a horror movie at all, but the music cues and I don't know, it felt like it was trying to be spookier than it was, which means somebody has horror on the brain. That's all I'm saying. I'm down for that. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Another movie that's not necessarily 100% up our alley, a Polar came out. Which had one of us really excited to see Mads Mikkelsen in an Wee, eye patch. In an eye patch. Why? Because he's yeah. dreamy. Okay. Is that like in a, a stoic thing? kind of eating people way? Do you secretly. Well, yeah. But <laughs> where'd the eye patch fascination come from? And can I say, it's not just you, it's the whole internet. Everybody was like, oh my God, Mads Mikkelsen, eye patch, this is so great. Like, I don't. 
I don't know where that obsession is from. I don't think from. it is the eye patch. I think it's the... I don't know what it is. I have no answers. I don't know. You have stars in your eyes right now. <laughs> yeah, so Polar was a really interesting film also. That's on Netflix now if you want to check it out. It's this really shoot 'em up action. It's also like a comic book movie. Mm-hmm. You know, it's adapted from a graphic novel. It's a graphic novel movie. My, my bad. I wasn't trying to correct you. I just read the credits at the end of the movie. I didn't know that. I wasn't going into it like, oh, I hope they don't butcher my favorite graphic novel. Like, <laughs> I knew nothing about this movie whatsoever. Uh, yeah, it felt a little indie, very um, confined to its set sort of thing. Like, the scenes were really, like, compartmentalized. But the fashion was really cool. The eye patch was great. Uh... <laughs> And the set design and stuff was cool, and the characters were interesting, and it was just a kind of a wild movie. We also watched the Ted Bundy tapes over last week, which everybody in the world has been binging, uh, leading up to Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil, and Vile. Oh, I think you got it. <laughs> with Zac Efron. Uh, obviously, it's the Ted Bundy biopic. Yeah. And the Ted Bundy tapes is made by the same director, and it is a docu-series also on Netflix. I think it's a four-part series I think so, yeah. documenting Ted Bundy's reign of terror, his arrest, his second arrest, his third arrest, and then yeah. his trial. You, you say that like uh, he was arrested and, and beat the charges. Uh, this man just kept escaping prison. Yeah, he is a crazy dude. I advise you, if you haven't checked out the, his Wikipedia and stuff in a little bit, if you haven't read up on him, to not and let the documentary kind of fill you in because it's really crazy yeah we also get a lot of it in his own words in third person yeah yeah i think what's probably the most interesting thing about ted bundy and there's kind of a lot of controversy right now because everybody's talking about how dreamy zach efron is in the role (laughs) and that it's it's kind of doing the victims a disservice because it's glamorizing this serial killer but people are forgetting the most interesting thing about ted bundy is he comes from the line of serial killers where he's the first kind of of his kind he was educated he had a college education he represented himself in his trial he was charismatic he was a chameleon he fit in conversations he was eccentric and serial killers weren't that suave people didn't expect society's people to be serial killers so he was kind of like a uh, wolf in sheep's clothing so i Mm -hmm. think that's what's so fascinating about him is he opened people's eyes to stranger danger in your own backyard yeah and it's not like that type of person didn't exist before him uh it's just this was the first time people were able to see it to to, it's it's crazy to see the actual footage i mean like you're probably familiar with gifs you've seen clips here and there used in whatever documentary about any criminal um but yeah, it's it's really unsettling to hear his voice describing the things that he's done, and also seeing him in court. I think those smiling inappropriately, yeah, and waving because you're watching him play nonchalant. a game with people, yeah, yeah, and it's just like, what, what are you, what? Yeah, but I mean, it's, to say that we're doing a disservice by glorifying Ted Bundy in the new film uh, is interesting because to say how dreamy Zac Efron is as that character. Kind of says that it's perfect casting because he's supposed to be charismatic and handsome. He's supposed to be all of those things that we're saying about Zac Efron right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's an interesting choice. And I think he's a really interesting filmmaker as well. He, you're, you're probably really familiar with his work. He's done the Paradise Lost documentaries about those 
West Memphis kids that went to jail because they listened to heavy metal. Uh, and he also directed Blair Witch 2, Book of Shadows. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a career right there. <laughs> a real career. That is a really interesting. He's flip-flopping from documentaries, to, but it's all like... To feature films, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Um, lastly, we do want to say thank you to our most recent patrons. I want to give a really quick shout out to Alexandra, Casey, Sean, and Angel. Uh, I just want to say, on record, that we had a live stream the other day, and these people kicked our butts at Horror Trivia with a 15-second delay. Uh, maybe not specifically uh, Alexandra, Casey, Sean, and Angel, but uh, the patrons were there and they were answering questions whenever we didn't get them. And Trivial Pursuit rules. You get a question right. You get to roll again. Uh, and they whomped us. Kicked our butts. Yeah. Uh, so uh, if, if you were listening and you were there, uh, congratulations. You know quite a bit about horror movies (laughs) you can find that live stream and all of the bonus mini episodes that we record for each of these episodes including this one at patreon.com slash nightmare on film street where we also have the secret to life after death now there are two ways i don't i I probably shouldn't share this to you here on the show but i mean i really enjoy your company and i'm glad you're here uh there are two ways to to achieve life after death everyone knows this one doll voodoo two burying yourself in your pet cemetery every this is just common knowledge people and uh do with it what you will just know you'll either be (laughs) you'll either find yourself melted into a pool of plastic in a toy factory or killing your loved ones that's enough of that i shouldn't be sharing these secrets uh i've said too much already let's get on with the show let's talk about tom holland's child's play Everyone knows most accidents happen at home. How did that happen? This is no accident. Andy! I'm Detective Mike Norris. Homicide. Andy! Miss Peterson's dead. She fell from the kitchen window. Someone's moved in with the Barclay family. And so has terror. No one believes the truth. Or lives to tell it. There's nothing nice about murder. And there's nothing innocent about child's play. So Child's Play from 1988, currently sitting at a 6.6 out of 10 on IMDb, a 67% on Rotten Tomatoes, 3 out of 4 from Roger Ebert, and a 3.2 out of 5 on Letterboxd. Chucky did a good job! He has some good ratings there. Yeah, people He's, love Chucky, right? Yeah. I but guess here's, and here, here's the thing that I think we need to like really separate, though, is that there is, there is a Chucky world and there is a Child's Play world. Is there? I think so. I guess that's so true because this Chucky in Child's Play is bad and not devious. Whereas the later Chucky movies, he's like a little scamp who has a knife. Yeah. Like like, a little murderous scamp. <laughs> like you could just as easily put devil horns on him and you'd be like, oh, I get it. Okay. Ah, he's a playful he, little devil. But is he more 
lethal later in the franchise. I think we were like just blowing past this whole movie. We're just like, Chucky is a concept. But this child's play Chucky exists in a world where Chucky isn't a legacy or whatever. Exactly. So he's very goal oriented. He really only needs to kill a couple people as Chucky. But then, like, obviously it doesn't work out and he's Chucky forever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, the first two movies, he's really, he's got something he needs to get done. Yeah, it's not about body count. Like, it's not necessarily a slasher film. Whereas the later, the later Chuckies become these, like, fun quasi-slashies. You know what I mean? And it is, it does become about body count and fun, frilly ways to, mm-hmm. even the second one, too. I, eh. To a degree, but, he, like, he's still trying to get something done. He's yeah. just getting rid of the people in well, his Well, and the pizzazz comes from the um, the toy factory. Yeah. Like, the pizzazz is, the, is, is all the fun ways to kill Chucky, whereas, like, later in the franchise, it's all the fun ways that Chucky kills other people. Yeah. It's, it's, it's why I was really excited to do this episode and why I'm excited to talk about it, because it's really hard to... Well, one, I haven't... Um, I haven't rewatched the original Child's Play in a really long time, mm-hmm. and it's really hard to to get rid of all of the other movies to just throw them out of your head while you watch this one because you're you're imprinting so much of the the Chucky we know now on that original movie. Yeah, and well, we have the box set of the Chucky films, so whenever we end up watching them, it always happens to be New Year's for some reason. I think it's just Why that is like this a thing. <laughs> it's like a a lazy sort of you you're just gonna watch movies all day you grab a box set it's always child's play for some reason and you, we, we end up watching like all of them but th- well here's together. the thing though that box set that we have doesn't have the first one so it very rarely do we end up watching that first one it's we start with two and we just go through them when was the last time you watched like og child's play 1988 mm, i don't know because i didn't remember any of the opening stuff yeah so a while yeah, yeah. It is unlike the rest of the entire franchise, but the blueprint's there for it, and it's it's Chucky's attitude, I think, because the the movie takes the subject matter very very seriously. We are supposed to be terrified for this family. Yeah, Chucky isn't silly in this one. Um, he he uh, see, I don't know though. Like I, if he feels a little silly, but, but I think that's the other movies. Like I'm remembering the yeah. other movies, and I'm just imprinting them on I how mean, I take this movie. In. There are elements of this movie that are silly, but like Chris Sarandon's not laughing. No. And or Detective Norris isn't laughing. Yeah, Catherine uh, Hicks is terrified. Tiny footprints, little hammer. Like, I no, love... But oh. nobody's laughing. It's very serious. Like, ugly doll in the elevator, nobody's laughing. Like, it's interesting how it's such a funny concept. It's, it's as if they did Leprechaun and just zapped all of the humor out of it. And we're like, we're just going to pretend that he is Jason Voorhees. He is eight feet tall and he is ready to kill. Yeah. The scenes play out exactly as though like a real life killer is in them anyway. It just happens to be a doll. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's really where it's at. The opening is so bizarre. Like, we just get right into the weirdness right away. Because you open right into an action sequence, mm-hmm. but like a cop action sequence? It's like a getaway. Do, do we know what they're getting away from? Or I think... Robbing something. Were they robbing? somebody? I don't know. I, I get the impression that it was some sort of sting. Like, they had set it up because they're on the radio like, Charles Lee Ray, the strangler, he's going down the street. We gotta get him. Like, they, they know who they're after. And what serial killer has a getaway driver? The, yeah, Jack the Ripper. <laughs> I don't I, know why I said that what? like it was a fact. What? I, I can't I'm even. This off I can't of even retort that. Are you saying the horse he got away on? No, he surely, surely he had a carriageman. 
But uh, but yeah, what kind of serial killer has a getaway driver? None of them. I think that's why we immediately assume bank robbery. Yeah. You have a getaway driver for a bank robbery. Always. Yeah. Worst getaway driver, though. He's got nerves of, of spaghetti. As soon as things look rough, like his, his buddy is 10 feet from the car. He's like, gotta go. And then he does what you do when you uh, when you need to become a skiller doll. By the end of the sequence, you break into break into a toy store. I don't even know if he broke into the toy store on purpose. I, I think like he it. just broke into a, a toy store because when he comes across the good guy doll, he, it occurs to him like, "Hey, wait a minute, I might be able to like at least like the look on his face." There isn't a whole ton of dialogue saying. Yeah, no, that. it's all supposed to just be happenstance. Like he's dying. He's like, "Oh, thank God, I know this voodoo." What? What am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> this is the only movie where we excuse like oh thank god I know voodoo like when could you ever have that situation again in a movie and not have an entire audience go that's sloppy <laughs> well like later in the movie he has like a shaman sort of friend who kind of hates him yeah uh, thank god you tell me all that voodoo Rick I'd... he's like you are an abomination like why did you tell a serial killer the voodoo to possess another being well I think uh, I, th- I didn't know he was a strangler at the time <laughs> I don't think so I think uh, I think he uh, was just like a pupil of his beforehand and then he became a strangler oh so it was like charles manson when he was in his acting phase yeah yeah when he wanted to make it in hollywood he had a he had a good face brad dorf young brad dorf had to be like a charming man uh that's it's how he got his his victims close (laughs) so after some ominous lightning and some hibbity dibbity voodoo yep the toy store explodes (laughs) well yeah lightning shoots down and and hits him i guess that lightning strikes and destroys nothing. None like the toy's not burned. His body's completely untouched. What are you talking about? Chris Sarandon gets like blown back into a pile of toys. But well, I'm saying, where is that lightning going? That lightning is obviously like the dark clouds are rolling in over them uh, while they he is performing the the voodoo spell. Uh, lightning comes in and just like skirts by them. Like what does it do? Like voodoo. Okay, it completes the spell. Well, who do that voodoo? So, we cut ahead. We are now with Andy and Karen. It is little Andy's birthday, and Karen is a single working mom who got him a nice big box. He's hoping it's the, what is the kid called? The good guy doll. Good, good, good guy doll. Yeah. While he's making her breakfast in bed, he's watching the good guy TV show. Good guy's everywhere in this movie. They're treating him like he's Barney. Yeah, or like Elmo, I think. Okay, sure. You know, maybe it's Furby. just because I'm an adult. It doesn't make sense because, like, I, I see these kids, like, the mere mention of good guy and they're losing their minds. I'm like, what? What's so exciting about this thing? Yeah, but this was during the age of, the like, the hot toy. I don't know if we necessarily have the hot toy now. But, yeah, back in the 80s and 90s, there was, like, Furby, Easy Bake Oven. <laughs> I don't know. We had, like, um, the girl version of Chucky when it was, like, a little bit pre-me, but my sister had one. It was called uh, Rocket. Okay. And she did crafts and, like, taught you how to tie your shoes. And she had a show. And then she had a doll that had a tape recorder in her back. And you could have um, little tapes that, like, matched the episode. And she would, like, talk and shit in conjunction with the... Did she move? Like, were the tapes able to, like... No. Her eyes, I think, moved. She was creepy. She had, like, pigtails and these, like, big scary eyes. Weird. And they had, like, real eyelashes on them. And I did not like Rocket. Can you imagine? But she did teach me to put raisins on my (laughs) peanut butter celery, and I will never forget that lesson. (laughs) Did she call them ants? Oh, and she had a special, we had a toaster too that toasted Rocket's face on the toast. What? It was, I'm telling you, this type of kid fandom exists. 
Wow. Rocket toast. I really thought that this was kind of exaggerated, I guess. Yeah, I, I'm not a toy guy, I guess. I, even growing up as a kid, I just watched movies. <laughs> like, my some of my earliest memories are watching Wayne's World and The Rocketeer. Just they were called Ants on a Log. That's what I'm saying. And I was like, did they <laughs> call them ants? I've never liked that name. I hate it. It's dumb. Why are you going to hair? Eat these ants on a log. <laughs> Mess poops on a baseboard. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just brainstorming alternatives. <laughs> they do look like mouse poops. Really big mouse poops. It's weird because I actually thought of that before recording this. I, that came to me while I was making our breakfast today. You thought? So you mean to tell me? <laughs> I was thinking of a Twitter poll. Please complete this thought. No, I was just, I'm more interested in finding out how you were mixing like raisins. I was just gonna do one of those going, like, like sir, mouse poop. sir raisins mouth poop, right? And then the both options were yes. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't tweet it. <laughs> that breakfast that Andy makes is the worst breakfast I've ever seen. He's just why is he making her breakfast in bed on, on his, his birthday? birthday? I think it's because he's greasing her up to get his dolls, his doll toy at six thirty in the morning. It's also like, too late. Can we open presents now? Well, you're allowed. It's your birthday. Like you're allowed to open the presents. It's like he should be. He should have been greasing her up weeks beforehand. Yeah, that's what he should have been doing. Breakfast in bed every day leading up to birthday, like an advent calendar of of burnt toast that will eventually translate into a creepy doll that has a unique name. But he doesn't end up getting the doll. No, he just gets a... Uh, he gets the hammer, right? Yeah, he gets like a um, good a guy. working set. Yeah, because it comes with the hard hat and like a little like saw or whatever. Why is it a, a real hammer? Yeah, it's got it's got a very real hammer, which we'll get to in a minute. Like but it's a tiny hammer. All of his accessories make no sense. It might just be it's because it's the 80s and there's, there's no way you would get this now. But good guy has like... A machine gun. He's got a machine gun. He's got uh, a carpenter's belt and uh, probably like a doctor's outfit and a machine gun. Like we've got army Chucky or oh, army good guy ready to go. Maybe it's because he's named the good guy. That's that's how he can get away with it. Mm. I bet every doll had a machine gun in the 80s, though. You gotta compete with that G.I. Joe money. Exactly. I bet Barbie even had a gun. Like a little one that she could put in her handbag. <laughs> oh, I bet Barbie had, like, instead of, like, um... Like or, a, like, a book gun. You know, like, she book, opens she a book opens and, it's, and it's, there's a gun cut out. It's concealed. <laughs> I was I was thinking more like instead of a beauty pageant sash, she's got one of those like belts of bullets <laughs> just wrapping around her. But a homeless guy's selling a good guy doll at a reduced rate in the back alley of the department store where she works, so no big deal. And he still winds up with a good guy doll at the end of the day. She Literally by the end of the day. <laughs> yeah, she doesn't ask any questions about where it came from, why the bag's torn, why this guy's... How this guy got his hands on it. But I guess you wouldn't either, right? Like, she's she's strapped for cash. She wants to give her son the best birthday possible. And she can finally afford it. So she gets it. Yeah. And this is where the movie really kicks off. Because we know pretty early on that this is going to be Chucky. Because he wants to watch the fucking news. <laughs> <laughs> but it's really interesting how the movement and what we see of the movement of the Chucky doll unfolds because it 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 does want to dole itself out in like um 
us in a interesting storytelling kind of way. Like, we don't want to just have us seeing Chucky running around and slashing people right away. We have to build to that. We have to, to build to, is Chucky moving? Is the doll possessed? Fa-la-la. Yeah, first we just get, like, a few eye glances. Yeah. And then maybe, like, a hand moves. But the interesting thing behind that is that the only motivation for that to happen is that Chucky is aware he's in a story and is trying to do the most <laughs> the most uh, interesting thing narratively possible. <laughs> <laughs> because there are frequent moments where he's thwarted only in minor instances. Like he goes to put a chair to unlock a door to go outside and somebody's just like, huh, why is this chair here? Moves the chair and then he takes a break for the night <laughs> and he just goes down to bed. And you're like, I don't think you need to sleep. Or he's just thwarted and he's like, oh, I'll try again tomorrow. I'm going to sleep with Andy. It doesn't make any sense other than that. He's like, you know, narratively. We're just going to take a break to the next scene. It's and then so the funny, next scene yeah. is the next day. So it's just like, you're just telling me Chucky powered down for the night? That is the prime opportunity to be deviant. That is the craziest thing. You pointed that out while we were watching this and it didn't even occur to me. Like, why does Chucky just tuck in for the night? It doesn't. There's even a scene, actually, where he closes his eyes. <laughs> I think he actually has to sleep. I think he's a human being inside that doll. Oh, maybe as he gets more human. No, because he gets more brazen as the film goes on. It's the beginning where it's weird because you're like, how does he gain faculty of the limbs and stuff? And you're like, oh, he has them. And I'm like, well, why isn't he just killing Andy? <laughs> <laughs> right now. He has, he's, if he's this ruthless serial killer he has to like sneak around keep andy safe kill the babysitter then like it's just so oh you know what i know exactly why it's because he wants to seek revenge he wants to kill his partner who took off his getaway driver he wants to kill the cop and he wants to 100 percent get away with it and also he i think in his mind he thinks that maybe he will become himself again like he can maybe not possess his own corpse but transfer into a different body it isn't until well over halfway through the movie that he realizes he has to go into andy's body well yeah because he notices when he starts actually getting like wounds and and his nose bleeds and stuff and that's when he goes back to the guy who knows voodoo and he's like oh yeah you gotta go in the first person you told which what kind of a rule is that (laughs) it's an all right one Sounds like a narrative rule to me (laughs) All, all of the decisions in this movie are narrative ones definitely do you think he kills the babysitter just because he likes to kill people? Yeah, like, it's she keeps getting in his way, I think. Because he's trying to, like, that's where he's got the chair and he's unlocked the door. Yeah, and-, and he's trying to do sneaky things. But then she's just, like, cleaning up the mess he made, the flower he knocked over as, like, a jo- like on his running out of the room. I don't know. And Yeah, because it's got his teeny little footprints <laughs> in it. Doesn't he climb on the counter, though? Aren't his footprints on the counter? Because how did he... So when when she gets hit in the head with a hammer, it is up high. I'm assuming Chucky did, like, a ninja leap at her. Like, he ran off the counter and, like, leapt into her with the hammer. He's got to have, like, the same strength as a human adult man inside that doll. Because there's no way that that teeny little, like, what, 15-ounce doll? Like, I don't know. It weighs nothing. Like, he couldn't gain enough force to hit her in the, hard enough in the head to knock her out of the window. <laughs> like, he was running down the hall, like, getting a running start. He's like, I gotta hit her really hard. That's why he had the, yeah, that's why he wanted the door open. He had to go back to the elevator and get a <laughs> real running start on this. So she ends up collapsing into the street below. Oh, it's the greatest shot of the entire movie. I love that. I loved that character. I was sad when she died. She had, She's nice. She had some fun sass. Yeah. She felt like a real BFF. I don't know. I really liked her. Yeah. They, uh, collectively, the two of them like really hated their boss. Like, you give him a kick in the pants for me. She's great. She sticks up for her friend. 
She steps in when her friend needs help. Yeah, and then she dies so quick. Uh, (laughs) But then when mom comes home, there's ambulances and police and stuff everywhere. And she realizes that, oh, no, it's her apartment. She's able to run upstairs. Nobody stops her. This is the greatest in movies where nobody ever stops. The the one person who's allowed there, they don't check. They're just like, yeah, let that go. That lady go. And I have to hand it to this movie for revealing to this character in this scene is like a minute or less. They reveal to her that her best friend is dead, that her son is implicated in the crime. And then the cops clear out all within that scene. Like all these things happen. You're like, I don't know if police work this efficiently. And I don't think that many police needed to be there. When she got in, there was a guy who had his feet up on the table reading the newspaper. <laughs> but no, maybe they'd been there a while or something. But she, ah. They were probably just waiting for her. I love, they're waiting around for her to come home to maybe get a statement or like let her know what's going on. Nobody calls her. They barely tell her that her friend is dead though. And then Chris Sarandon, who's the head detective of the film, is just like this nice guy. And he's okay, clear out guys, clear out. Because she's stressed out and wants to have spend some time with her son. Obviously her best friend's dead. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would be, be a little upset, eat the rest of that birthday cake. <laughs> <laughs> Is that why the flowers on the counter? Like, does the birth did the did she make the birthday cake? No, I why think else it's just do you a, need? It was a canister, John. You oh. keep them on the counter. My mistake. But yeah, nice guy cop still thinks her son committed murder. Maybe. Yeah, there were some tiny footprints. <laughs> do you think maybe that's the only reason Chucky sticks around? Maybe he, he wanted to escape. He wanted to just get the fuck out of the house when everybody went to bed. But oh, hey, look. Mr. Detective, who I also want to kill, will be back around to talk to us again. But I think he realizes the benefit of having this kid that nobody believes Mm. believe him. Like, he can pretend to be an actual good guy, and it works. Because the next day, Andy skips school with Chucky and is riding the subway all the way downtown to... Um, like the roughest part of Chicago. Yeah, to like the hideout of his old getaway driver so that Chucky can, uh, you know, explode him make into away with him. <laughs> Do away with him. So you said something uh, a minute ago about Chucky being a good guy doll. How does he know how the good guy doll operates? I know. So I was is thinking like, that too. Maybe part he saw of his a commercial or something. I, that's okay. If he's anything like his buddy who he killed, he's squatting in a building somewhere. The cops haven't been able to find this guy. There's no way there is a rental application in Chicago signed by Charles Lee Ray. Everybody's looking for him. He's like a notorious killer. Yeah, but he could have just walked past a store of TVs. Like I don't think it's that hard to explain that he okay. could know the three passphrases that Chucky has <laughs> because. As you know, there are no batteries in there. That is the greatest. Oh, that is such an awesome turn in this movie where mom is like, mom does not believe that the, that Chucky is real. It doesn't make any damn sense. Uh, and when she goes to throw out the box and finds the batteries fall into her hand, she fucking knows that this doll has to be possessed because how else could it possibly be moving? That's always my favorite part in movies. I hate the the whole, like, doesn't believe me plot, and you have to wait for yeah. that middle act turn for well, somebody to believe the fucking kid. And, and, and you love it when it comes, but it's just, now we have to get, make the cop believe, and the cop doesn't believe until Chucky's literally cutting him up. <laughs> it's also hard when you're going back to watch the first movie of a franchise. Because you already have that whole franchise in your head. Mm, like, we know Chucky's real. And yeah, he spends no time pretending that he isn't in the next movies. Yeah. I don't think we talk enough about Charles Lee Ray being a crazy killer. He's known as the Strangler, right? The the, the Chicago Strangler. Mm-hmm. Or the Seaside Strangler? Is that what it is? I don't remember. Something like that? How annoying must it have been? 
for him to come into a tiny doll with little hands like he can never <laughs> strangle again. That's true, because his M.O. as a human being was strangling. Yeah, and, and he, even in the second movie, like he he strangles somebody with a cord, and he's just like, there we go, nothing like a strangulation to get the blood flowing. That's funny, I don't know if I remember that. Yeah, because his, like, you picture Chucky's got a knife. Chucky and his Bowie knife, like, that is his 100%. his weapon of choice. That's the look. Yeah, that little that little knife with the the weird red spiral pattern on the blade. I don't know why. It's oddly specific. It's in the movies. Is that the one he gets in the second film? Is oh, it's the second movie. Never mind. You know, I do have to. We haven't talked about it, but he looks really good in this movie. For mm, it being yeah. the first movie, the the scenes of Chucky running around in the background and stuff are genuinely creepy. Yeah, and they, and, look, they look great. And him moving, even scooting around as the doll, the puppeting is really great in this. And there's only a couple instances where it looks like somebody holding on to a doll. And you know when you're pretending something's attacking you and yeah. you're holding it? <laughs> there's only a, like a couple small glimpses of stuff like that. Otherwise, Chucky is so well puppeted. And I think that comes down to the entire goal of this film is to genuinely treat Chucky like he's a scary villain. Okay. And they put a lot of, I assume, energy and effort into making sure that those scenes held up. Because if they became campy or silly or didn't look real, it would it would have to change the entire tone of the movie. Yeah. I think you would have to play Chucky for yucks. I think that's what made this movie so popular when it came out because it's really easy to go see a killer doll movie and find it funny. Yeah. Because it's really hard to pull it off well. Like, you're right. You need to make him scary. And like Tom Holland and David Kirshner and all those guys, like, they really did a great job of making him believable at what he does. Uh, there are some scenes where it's definitely like a little boy in a in a child's play in a good guy outfit, like running up the stairs of the mental institution to try and get Andy. But they all look great. My favorite, I think, my my absolute favorite puppeting moment of this movie and just like Ch- uh, Chucky's face and his reactions uh, is that moment where mom realizes that he is possessed by this killer uh and she turns on the fire she's gonna throw him in and his face just completely turns and he's like you fucking bitch i'm gonna kill you like he just loses his mind on her and he goes from being this uh, this happy little doll i guess that that kids can play with to being a fucking monster it's true he goes from like he goes from the good guy dolls like pre-orchestrated facial movements Mm -hmm. into like this doll is putty and i am able to control it yeah yeah speaking of putty he gets melted Good in this movie. He yeah, gets melted in every they movie. They really fucking kill Chucky in this movie, yeah. though. He is so... He is all kinds of dead, and he keeps coming back. Yeah, they they throw him off stuff. They burn him. They shoot him. They explode him. They, they, oh, he's great. By the end of it, he's just a, he's just a head, and he's still going. <laughs> yeah, I think one thing that really gets established in, in this movie that is carried on through the entire franchise is that Chucky does not quit. He's one of those guys where he never admits defeat. And you know he feels pain. So it's not as though it's like, oh, well, he's a doll. Who cares? It's just a doll. Like, anytime you shoot him, anytime you burn him, he feels it. But if he still has an ounce of energy left in his body, if he's only got one little finger moving, he's gonna try and kill you with it. That's fair. That's fair. (laughs) It'd be interesting, though, if, like, halfway through the Chucky franchise, he actually got into Andy. Mm. And... He started going by Chucky, and then the killer is this kid growing up, like, going through life, and he, the kid becomes the strangler. That mm. is an entirely different franchise. It's like the omen, really. That's interesting, though. That is interesting. 
You know, it's really surprising that they haven't gotten that. Because, I mean, you do that in the middle of the movie. By the end of the movie, you could swap back. You or, could yeah, you get him back into, into yeah. Chucky because he's easier to kill as a doll or something. Yeah. And if we want to go real meta, he could go into Brad Dorf. <gasps> that would have been, well, uh, yeah, like the character. Because Brad Dorf in the movie is dead because he's the strangler. Yeah, 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 yeah totally. Yeah, but, yeah, I mean, like, I'm t- the same thing we're doing with Jennifer Tilly. Mm. Could go. I mean, now he's That's in Fiona Dorf. We know that much. The end of Cult of Chucky. Oh, yeah. So I guess we've done it. Yeah. Congrats, guys. You but did she's a playing good a character. Job. She she is playing a character. You're right. And we have to talk about the voice, too, because we haven't talked about the voice. So yeah. this one, Chucky really sounds just like Brad Dorf. <laughs> yeah, really mad Brad Dorf. Um, it's not as iconic as you... Uh, it's not the Chucky voice that you've, you've come to know. Yeah, it's crazy how like much the Chucky voice is part of Chucky because you like I can't say that in my head I know what Chucky sounds like Mm -hmm. but when I hear Child's Play 1 Chucky I'm like this isn't Chucky even though I know it's the guy like it is the guy it's got he's got the the inflections but there's something like less animated about this Chucky and we all you also watch the second child's play after we watch the first one because that's what you do. You watch the third one too. Uh, but the voice <laughs> is down by the second one. The yeah. second one really starts sounding like Chucky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of where he becomes like Freddy Krueger. He's got some one-liners. He's got some. He's got some good send-offs for his kills. But it's the the anger is there, like pure hatred. Well, and also the, I think too by this time he's a little bit more comfortable in his skin. He's got a sense of humor about himself being a doll. Okay. Whereas this one, it's like, get me out of this fucking doll. What's your favorite kill in the movie? This movie? There's not that many. <laughs> there really isn't. So I'm going to go first, and <laughs> I'm going to say uh, Voodoo Guy. Oh, really? I thought you were going to say the um, the girl out the window. Isn't that your favorite? <laughs> I guess it is. You're right. It's the best. It's the most. It's the best shot kill. The Voodoo Guy is interesting, though, because Chucky literally kills the voodoo doll version of him yeah he like breaks his fucking bones yeah which is not very nice (laughs) no it's not very nice i think it works perfectly with this movie we got a doll kill you know a guy who's stuck in a doll who might be killed in it with killing another guy with a doll it's good that's super meta it's got some levels on Mm -hmm. it i like it Also, also it's just a horrible way to go okay so what do you rate the very first child's play movie not giving any of the other films into account yeah and then that's the trick is not paying attention to any of the other ones. Um, I'm going. I'm going to give Child's Play a three out of four. I don't think it necessarily does anything wrong. I like. It's a great movie. Um, I just don't love killer dolls. Or yeah, uh, it's, it's a personal preference. Knock. That's right? really high. I'm gonna. Oh give really? It, I'm gonna give it a two out of four. Oh shit! Yeah, I like this movie more than you. Yeah. Oh shit! I think it's good. Like two out of four is okay. And I'm sitting here trying to justify my three out of four. Yeah. It's I'm like, a- I'm sorry, guys. I know it deserves. A four it's out of four. Okay. Oh, okay. It is also just a killer doll movie. Yeah, I know, but like for a straightforward killer doll movie. Yeah, it's- no, it's okay. But <laughs> there's there's a lot of like leaning into it, and like we have to pretend that Chucky's just a doll, and and the the stuff where he goes to sleep. And like, it, I wanted all this shit to just massacre happen. I wanted him to just kill Andy like fucking night one. Like he's just on top of him, strangling him. That's so funny. And we don't even get that in Child's Play too. Like he still plays by the rules. We still like, oh, cl- they close oh, the door. Sleep. God damn. It. I mean, he does do some pretty cool kills when he kills um, the foster parents. Yeah, those are both really good kills. So re- real quick before we move on, which which one do you like more, Child's Play or Child's Play Two? Oh. 
Child's Play 2 has some crazy ass angles, though. Oh, yeah. It is, like, all from doll perspective. Yeah. You're I, watching I honestly, that movie as a two-foot-tall person looking up. <laughs> even even in any of the shots that aren't from doll perspective, I think they're from trinket perspective. Like, there's there are enough knick-knacks all around the house. I think we're either looking through a, a doll's eyes or, or some little porcelain figure's eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the second one is fun, though, because that whole factory sequence Mm -hmm. is, like, really good. Yeah. And they went to a lot of effort and work to make that factory actually look like it makes fucking Chucky dolls. Like, the hair stamping Mm -hmm. and the eyeball popping and all. Were were they manufacturing these dolls by that time? Like, could you buy a good guy doll? I'm sure you... It would have made sense for them to do it. I'm sure after the first film you could have. You know, financially, it just made sense for us to start a business and get a factory. So we just shot inside that factory. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. You can definitely get them now. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you could have. So which one do you like more? Uh, I think I'm going to say oh, first one. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, I'm uh, a Child's Play 2 guy. Maybe the second one. I don't know. And I see, here's, I'm here's a, the thing, I'm though. an elitist, though. Like, I'm like one of those, like, you can't have the first without the second. No, that's true. So, the like, first if the one, second is better than the first, it's it, that's credit to the it's first not, film. No, 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 no. It's not, it's not better. It's what's, like, it's not one... More realized? No. <laughs> What I'm trying to say is, I'm not asking you to pick which one's better. I'm what are saying, you asking me? Which one do you like more? Oh. The first one is the better I'm movie. Now. The second one, I consider my favorite, oh. is what I'm saying. Yeah, but there, you're asking, it's a loaded question. It is loaded. And this gun is pointed, and I want a fucking answer. Come on. Mm. Okay, I'm going to say the second one is funner. I feel like I bullied you into you No, did. see, I, you still haven't given an answer. You funner. said funner. I want to know which one you like more. Yeah, but if I like the second one more, I have to attribute that to the first film. I told you, I'm an elitist. <laughs> I am a sequel elitist, and I know that about myself. Anything you like from, like, you have to credit the original story because it's the kernel of the idea. Which one do you think's better, Hostel or Hostel 2? I hate you. Which one do you think's better, Human Centipede or Human Centipede Shut up! <laughs> I can't! Ugh. <laughs> <sighs> All right. Credit to the first one, though. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C., If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Let's talk about Pet Cemetery. Okay. Stressed me out. What is this place? 
I brought you here to bury Alan's cat. Daddy, is Church all right? Why, Judge? I have my reasons. I dreamed he got hit by a car, and you and Mr. Crandall buried him in the pet cemetery. What did we do tonight, Judge? What we did, Lois, was a secret. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Has anyone ever buried a person up there? May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. You're thinking thoughts best not thought of. So Pet Cemetery from 1989, currently sitting at a 6.6 out of 10 on IMDb, a 50% on Rotten Tomatoes, a 38% Metacritic rating, and 3.2 out of 5 on Letterboxd. A little bit lower than Child's Play? A little wee bit lower? Mostly just on the Letterboxd rating, which is kind of surprising. Um, I always thought people loved this movie. I figured they were so in love with it that they were clamoring for a remake. I've seen very few people have anything negative to say about this movie, despite its its flaws. Yeah, it's nostalgic, though. Everybody, yeah. I think this movie's got a lot of nostalgic eyes on it. Everybody really loves the original book, so... I and like I gotta read that book. People talk about it being one of the scariest. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Kid Killen's pretty dark, though. So. I guess that's... Yeah. There's a lot of... Yeah, the, the, the murders in this are pretty rough. Mm-hmm. It's not like, oh, this character was really nice and just a, just did not deserve to die. It's like the person killing him and the person being killed. Like, there's this is a tragic story. Well, well, and the thing, too, is this movie, it has some weird things, like I'll, I'll totally admit. But the things it gets right, it gets, like, really right. Maybe that's what it is. There's some really cool stuff in this movie, and... You just gotta like, yeah. But on the other hand, sometimes you gotta ride with it because it's like, I don't really know if that was the right decision. This seems counterintuitive to what we talked about at the beginning, but you can never tell what's in a man's heart. <laughs> man's heart, man's brain. Never know why a man does the thing he does. Lewis? What is that accent? It doesn't sound... Southern drawl. Southern drawl. It doesn't sound southern drawly, though. Like southern drawl farmer. I don't know. It's great, though. Judd is the best thing about this movie. Judd's pretty great. And I'm so excited for John Lithgow. He's gonna do good. He's gonna do so good. To his brow, John. (laughs) Yeah, it's funny how excited I am for this, for the remake of this film. Are you, um, when you watch this, are you scared of that cat? I love the fucking cat. Like, love, like, you, you... you think I the, think the, the cat, cat is the best performance of the whole movie. But I mean, when he's hissing and he's got his his back up and, and his stuff, green glowy eyes. Do you not like uh, like when you're watching it? Like, do you not have like that, that same for me at least? It kicks that response that I used to get when the cats would like hiss or growl at me and like they didn't want to be pet anymore. And I was like, I'm I'm about to get hit. Oh, see, my my <laughs> thing is like I've never been afraid of cats because I grew up with cats. But they but when they swat at you, it hurts. It does hurt, but oh. cats. Cats don't like attack. Cats are more. That one looks like it's going to They're more like warning animals. Like the most you're gonna get is like one bap or two. Like they're not gonna keep bapping you. They're gonna bap so they can run off while you're like, ow. Do you mean to tell me you never had an issue with the cat like grabbing you with its front claws and then kicking you repeatedly with its back claws? Because when I think of cats attacking, I think of they're gonna do everything they can. That's to... playing though. That 
fucking hurts. <laughs> they didn't play rough. And they have teeth like vampires. They look like syringes. I don't know. Maybe I just never had cats in my house that I didn't trust. Well, it's and not like, that I never trusted them, but all right. <laughs> Yeah, just, I don't know. I'm not scared of cats. Like, okay. there's nothing scary. Even an evil cat, you're like, oh, look at him. He's got his little pincers out. Which is funny, because I have that with, with dogs. Like, when dogs are, like, growling and stuff, I'm like, look at that little guy. Like, He's so just... cute. He's going to bite my face off. Yeah, and I've had plenty <laughs> of dogs bite my hand and bite my legs. And, like, yeah, sure, it hurts a little bit, but it's not really that bad. I've also never had a dog try and murder me. I used like, to have a hamster that was really bitey. <laughs> a bitey hamster. And, uh, I used to try to like, because we we would put him in those like rolly balls, you know, those like run around the room while I cleaned his cage. Yeah. And I used to try to like bribe him into his ball so I wouldn't have to pick him up because he was so bitey. <laughs> that is so funny. I um, His I... name was Ralph. And he used to sleep in his food dish. And I'm like, Ralph, I made you a special bed. <laughs> Why do I need to go two places? I got everything I need right here. <laughs> oh, rest in peace, Ralph. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think we had two guinea pigs growing up. Um, they weren't really anything crazy. Like one of them had seizures. It was weird. Oh, uh, fun pets. Uh, we had a canary or a budgie. I think is the thing. And my parents were like, "Oh, you can take them out. You just put your hand in the cage, and you gotta when you grab it because of the way the feathers go. You start like at the head, and you like." You, like you an arrow? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So as to not hurt its feathers, and then you can hold them, and like you can feed them stuff, and all I ever got was bit. Like, <laughs> that's it. They're like, you just grab him, and he's like, rah, 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 rah. like he's, he's biting me, like, oh, he doesn't like to be grabbed. Like, why am I doing this? They're like, well, you can you can grab him, and you can pet him, and eventually he'll get better. I'm like, okay, so I kept that up for a while. Like, I wonder how long it'll take before this thing is friends with me, and he can sit on my shoulder. Yeah, the monster. Hand is back. Yeah, attack. Sometimes he would just get out though, and he would just fly around the house, and it is fucking impossible to get him back. Would he poop on you? <laughs> I, I that would never... be my biggest fear. <laughs> the bird pooping. Like, oh no, he's nested in my hair. What if he has his children up there? What is it with girls being so worried about their hair with animals? Oh. Like, oh, the bats, they're going to get in my hair. I've heard that a few times. I'm just worried something's going to poop on me, and oh. I'm not going to know because of my hair. Okay, I understand this fear now. I got pooped on at Disneyland, remember? But you knew. And we had to go home. We did go home. <laughs> I ruined my day. <laughs> I bet if I had a told a cast member, I would have got like a free balloon or something. Like, ma'am, you're 26. Get the fuck out. <laughs> Go clean yourself Here's up. Here's your pin. Here's your pin. <laughs> I got pooped on at Disney and all I got was this pin. That'd be a great pin. Oh, man. It was a really busy day. Like, that was some odds to get pooped on. So, Pet Cemetery. Yeah. <laughs> now that we've gotten the pets out of the way. Sort of on topic. <laughs> That's kind of why I wasn't trying to put my foot down on any of it. Like, <laughs> Can you imagine if Ralph came back in Pet Cemetery? He would be the worst pet. Oh, my God. He already knows how to bite. He was already evil. You know, though... Church, I don't really understand. Maybe it's more clear. So we should probably say we're only talking about this film. We are not talking at all about the books. We're just going to talk about how it was handled in the film. Yeah. Church is bad. I think. Once he's brought back. Yeah. I think he just, I don't even know if he's bad because he doesn't do anything bad other than hate this guy for bringing him back to life. Yeah. That's it. But he's also kind of knowledgeable because when Gage comes back, he's always kind of present in those scenes like mm-hmm. just like wisely around the edges because i think they're kind of in cahoots or they have an understanding they are one. yeah but he's bad and does absolutely nothing 
like he shows up and is creepy just so we know that the space is evil yeah he, because the, when the girl comes home, she doesn't remark about her cat being different or not being her cat. She just, just remarks about his, him being stinky. Yeah. And I assume because beforehand, before the cat died, he was sleeping in her bed every night and they were like cuddling together and stuff. And so the girl is still hanging out with her cat, I assume. And I assume he's not attacking her and murdering her. Mm-hmm. But when Gage comes back, he is murdering people immediately. But Church is just kind of chill apart from the hissing at dad who i would be hissing at dad too because it's, he seems like to be very non-confrontational with problems like he just <laughs> lets them implode underneath him yeah there's nothing in this movie that isn't made worse by dad's decisions and he's so nonchalant about them like how are you a doctor <laughs> you have zero accountability <laughs> Well, I mean, he seems to take that job and uh, he seems to take it pretty personally. When that kid dies, like, and honestly, they bring a dead kid into his office. That is a great scene, though, because the movie up until that point is lifetime movie. It is soft. It is pleasant. There are no swears. It's a happy family. And we cut on a bloody brain. Yeah, we smash cut to brains. Yeah, and, and it's, it's that being, scene yeah. is jarring. Like mm-hmm. those, there's a bunch of distraught kids carrying this hemorrhaging guy. Yeah, who was hit by a truck. Every, every, all the trucks in this. It's town. just that one road. <laughs> I got to imagine Maximum Overdrive was written immediately after this one, right? Like, oh, so many killer trucks. Ooh, killer trucks. What if the car comes back? <laughs> yeah, no, no, not even that. It's it's it, the original plan was Pet Cemetery too. They bury the truck in the Pet Cemetery. <laughs> the, the, the spirit of Christine is from the Pet Cemetery. Oh, that's great. They cut to the they, they cut to all that gore though in the doctor's office, much in the same way that he would see it. It's not like we we watch a tense moment where this kid's jogging and a truck comes by and hits him, and then oh, we go to the hospital. It's like it's all from Dad's perspective, and all he sees is carnage. Immediately. Aftermath. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, unfortunately, he can't save this kid. This kid shows up. He's dead on arrival. And he takes it very personally, which I don't know if he needs to. Yeah. See, I'm sure this is something that translates a lot more in the book. Maybe the kid's alive. Oh, you know what would be better is if we can't. Okay, we can't speculate in the book. Can't speculate in the book. But this kid does start talking to him immediately. Uh, like the ghost of this kid comes alive and says something about the soil being sour and how a man's heart is stone. Um, Some other metaphors. Yeah, which is essentially just going to be the theme of the movie. We hear it quite a lot. What do you think is the point of the the ghost Marley kid? Yeah, Jacob Marley is a good description for him. Um... He's a good ghost? He is a good ghost because he spends the majority of the second act of the film trying to get mom from Chicago mm-hmm. back home so she can stop the dad from doing what he's about to do, which is revive their son in the, not, in the sour soil. Yeah, but he also, he tries to warn this guy about what he's going to do, mm-hmm. So it, which is really odd. Uh, it kind of comes back to, man, it's it's hard not to just see like glimpses of like all of Stephen King's other stuff in all of Stephen it's King's true. other stuff. It's true. This like, really oh, you know feels what? like Stephen King. Yeah, like, oh, this whole town is haunted maybe, and people can't leave, and everybody who dies, their spirit lives on, mm. this and that, because there's no, there's no reason for it, really. Like, the reason that I think Church and Gage are sort of in cahoots with each other at the end, like you were talking about, is that they're not really coming back from the dead so much as they are now... Um, Sp- pure spirits possessed or yeah, possessed bodies. they're possessed by some evil native spirit. 
is mm-hmm. is the thing. Like they are the one thing. Like they are the one spirit. It's it's the same entity that's in both of them. But I don't I don't I don't know why this kid is the warning spirit. Maybe it's just to explore everybody's relationships with death because mm. Early on in the movie, the kids, the family, the Creed children have their first kind of experience with death after the, would you call her the maid? The handy lady who does their laundry. She hangs herself because she has stomach cancer. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing really other than than that. They go to her funeral. Um, Stephen King is the minister. Yep. Which is a great uh, cameo. Great little cameo. But... I think that's just to kick off the conversations with the children about death. Yeah. And Which kind of everybody's... Which starts at the pet cemetery too, though. Yeah, but in it, it kind of... We get to experience everybody's individual relationships with death because um, the doctor obviously deals with death. We we get that with him and the patient that, that he let die. The mom has the story about her sister, which is such an insane little component of this film that kind of absolutely doesn't fit at all, but I'm so happy it's there. Yeah. And I don't know if I would have the same appreciation for the film without Zelda. It's such a weird left turn. It's so great. And every scene with her is nightmarish. Yeah. And... Like, the the shadows are really elongated. We're a little tilted. But there's wonderful cues in that scene. Like, the frames of the paintings and stuff in that corner stairwell. Yeah. They use what you know about the one particular dream that they've showed you when the mom is telling her husband about the Zelda story. They call back to visuals and elements and cues from that dream to kind of subconsciously tell your brain that we're going back there because Zelda appears several times in the film and they're not always nightmares. Sometimes they're waking dreams and sometimes they're the spirit using Zelda. Mm -hmm. But it's not just the entity. There's elements of the room that are used. Like the the outfit that the painting was wearing in her house as a child. Like that shit's fucked up. Oh, it's so That is amazing. Yeah, because like we slip into that moment so... So easily and just like so. All of a sudden, she's we're in Judd Crandall's house, and then when she goes up the stairs to find Gage, boom! This is the house from her childhood. Yeah, we go through like the same shadow under the same stairs, and her son is dressed up the same way that that little that little man is in the painting at the top of the stairs. Oh, that is oh that that alone is is so fucking great and so worth all of the setup. Um, But it's. Even, it doesn't make any with, like, No, even with all that for how great it is, it doesn't it doesn't it's 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 an odd fit. Yeah, like how does Zelda fit into the pet cemetery other than that this whole film is supposed to be just a commentary on everybody's relationship with death and I think the problem with dad is that he cannot accept death. I'm so glad you said that. I was going to try and come back to that because yeah. I, I think that's why he has such a hard time with the kid at the beginning. He's probably come to this small town cuz he figures it's going to be easier than dealing with the the crazy gunshot victims, I guess, maybe, that he'd get in Chicago proper. Yeah, because all their family is there. Frequently, the the kids and mom cart off to Chicago yeah, to be with her back. family. Yeah. And they're doing a lot of, there's a lot of airport scenes in this yeah. movie. He probably thought this was going to be a quiet town. I'm going to check people up. I'm going to give flu shots, and I'm going to administer medication for ear infections. It's going to be nothing. It's going to be boring. It's going to be easy and then death is still there death still finds him and he can't handle it and you, i think you're right like that's 
that's really the driving force between all of the decisions that he makes throughout the rest of the movie. It's why he can't talk to his daughter about her dead cat and instead goes with Judd up to the top of a fucking mountain <laughs> uh, to, to bury her in hard earth so that way she'll come back. No matter how awful it is, it'll still be there and he doesn't have to talk to her about death. Like, he can still keep his kids innocent and untouched from that tragedy. But the weird thing about that, though, is he seems to have do a great job talking to her about death when the nanny maid dies. Yeah. Because they have, a, like, a conversation and then mom has a cry... And everybody wholesomely handled that death conversation. That whole conversation, though, is is sort of stained or tainted with that experience of the cat being brought back to life. Because it sounds comforting in a way. Like, he's talking to his daughter. Like, oh, you know, I, I believe that we go on. We come, not come back, but we continue. Uh, so he's trying to say that he believes in an afterlife. And it it makes acceptance of the of death easier for his daughter because she's like, oh, you have faith that, you know, we mm. that we will go on. And he's, and like, he's yeah. like, yeah. But that's only because he's fucking seen it and it's dark and it's awful. Yeah. What is Judd's motivation in showing dad that cemetery and bringing that cat back? No, no one knows why a man does what he does. That's literally it. I think that's all it is. Because you're right. He, he... <laughs> He's kind of a shit for doing that. Yeah, he knows exactly how bad that cemetery is. He's had a lifetime of experience with that cemetery and still, I don't know if your daughter's ready for death yet. Well, I think it says something too that Judd doesn't have a dog. He doesn't have any pets. Oh. Right? Yeah. And he's a man who lives alone, who you would picture, I would, if I picture Judd, who's lighting cigarettes off his, his overalls and, and always has a bottle of beer in his closed off porch, do you not expect like a big droopy nosed, heavy eared dog just sleeping at his feet? Yeah. And he doesn't have a dog. That's a really good and point. And he did have a dog when he was younger. Yeah. And then he had that dog again. Uh-huh. And then I don't think he ever had a dog again. I don't think so. I think you're right because I think he knows that he couldn't handle knowing. I don't that think he could, he could trust himself not to yeah. bring it back. When yeah, exactly. It dies. No matter how bad it would be, he'd still end up doing it because, like, in that moment, he's he'd be too weak to say no, which is crazy because it's he soon, barely knows these people across the street. Yeah, but then the thing too is that as soon as Gage dies, he already knows what he's gonna do. Oh yeah, he sees himself in in Creed and uh, Lewis. And he's put it there. It's 100% his fault. When he says that too, because he had a little breakdown in the kitchen because he's like, it's it's my fault because he thinks just the act of reviving the cat, giving them that taste of that power, that somehow the spirit or whatever it is at that grave site is what killed Gage because they knew that they would be powerless to that opportunity, that yeah. they would have to, that they would be fated to go up there and bury Gage in that soil because they couldn't not do it. It's like there was a debt to be paid. Like, you want, oh, you want to use our services. You're going to give us your son. And then you're probably going to come bury your son here. You're going to give us your wife. Like, it's, that's just how it goes. It's just, like, continuous. Because, yeah, those spirits definitely floated in on the wind and blew that kite out into the road. Mm, floated down that highway. That is a that is a great scene where he says that it's his fault. Like, I love that idea that cosmically... Uh, he has put into motion just like the worst, uh, the worst moment of this guy's life. That's an interesting idea, which we got to read this book. We got to read this book. When Gage comes back, though, and he becomes this like little teeny villain. Yeah. I, this is kind of where the story falters for me. Like there, I will say dad isn't my favorite character. 
He's a bit, just very non-confrontational about things. But when Gage comes back, a lot of things have to fall into play perfectly for shit to go down. Like Judd falls asleep when Dad goes to the cemetery to unbury Gage to bring him to the pet cemetery so Judd can't stop him. And then when Gage comes back, um, instead of waiting for Gage to come back, Dad just goes back home and falls asleep for the night. Well, he's exhausted. He's he's. He's dug two graves, one of which he needs to do with a pickaxe because it's basically rocks. Okay. Not not looking at the fact that this situation is dire at all. But then he kills Judd. And then Mom, who's been harrowed by this ghost, comes back. Instead of going to her house, she goes to Judd's house. And then she gets murdered. And then, de- like. So I, I will say, when she gets home and she steps out of that truck, she hears someone calling her name. And it's her sister. I don't think she knows that at first. She probably just thinks it's somebody. But it's 100% her sister calling her into that I just house. think everybody's sleeping pretty conveniently at the end half of this movie. Oh, no, you're 100%. Like, not even sleeping. Let's just walk back a few things. One, uh, why doesn't Judd go looking for Lewis? Because He knows you, where it, there's, there's two, two places. cemeteries yeah, he would be that's at. That's it. He's either going to go to his son's grave or he's going to go to his son's second grave. Oh, when he's holding his son at oh, that first cemetery man. after he's unburied him, I was, I was like... If graveyard security comes back, this is a weird... Not even that. It was a weird thing to do. That baby was all kinds of dead. Yeah, but it immediately made me want to... to I was like so a uncomfortable. person short story about a guy who can't handle his son's death and just digging him up to hold him again. Maybe putting him back. I don't know. Maybe he does something else with it. But just like that idea, that is a dark moment. Is, oh. And after he hugs him for that long-ass moment where everybody's like... Eh. They they do a little shot on the hand, and the hand yeah. is, like, it's, blue. Yeah. It's it's pretty gnarly. Like, that is a dead baby. That baby is dead. But why, yeah, why, <laughs> why doesn't why doesn't Judd go to either of those two graves and stop him? Because uh, there's, there's no reason not to. He, he especially knows very personally what happens when human beings come back from the grave. Because mm-hmm. they, it looks like they become zombies. Well, and the, the great thing there, though, is that as soon as he realizes Gage is in his house and Gage is back, he pulls out his knife. Yeah, he's not fucking around. Yeah, knows, and you're just like, like you I would, Judd. You yeah. get that little boy. <laughs> <laughs> he's got teeny hands. He's not going to put up a fight whatsoever. But he outsmarts him. And uh, is it ever easy to watch somebody get their Achilles tendon cut? No. Why is that the hardest one to watch? And it happens, especially in these tiny little killer movies. There's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of Achilles cutting, and I guess that's out of convenience. It's a, a, a like a way to bring the the playing field a little bit fair. I don't love the gauge killings in this. It's hard though because they wanted to use that little boy as much as possible. Yeah. So he's just like, Arr. yeah. They go, All right, show us your mean face, kid. Yeah. And you're like, you're so cute. <laughs> Yeah, okay, but Play the, that little switchblade. But the special effects in that whole, whole sequence are great because, like, he slashes at him, and like we see uh, his lip just like split open on either end. It looks awesome, and then he he, he goes in for the kill. <laughs> just he, <laughs> he bites his little throat like a little hamster. Yeah, <laughs> he ralphs that son of a bitch down. But when we come back, even to see that his body, like his whole bottom lip, is gone, like that kid started eating his face. Yeah. Like, like he was a cat who found a dead owner. I do have to say, though, so once he kills Mom, which he does with the old Zelda trick, when Dad goes exploring, Mom is hung in the attic. So how did that two-year-old little boy get Mom in the attic? Delete the scene? Sure. Yeah. 
He convinced her to kill he's got, herself. He's got the strength of the, of the Native American demon. He's not a little boy anymore, Kim. Okay. Yeah. All right. You mean to tell me that little boy had enough forethought to go over and grab that scalpel and come back to Judd's house? That's a demon talking. It's true. I kind of... See, I'm a little bit less is more. I want the cemetery to just be this spot that has this power and we don't get to explore it at all. Like, I guess we don't really explore it, but the fact that they're like, oh, the entity did it. The mm. entity always did it. And you're just like, okay. I don't know if I want it to be an entity. I like that they come back evil. Yeah. But maybe like I don't know. I think in a book where you've got uh, some time, time to expand. Yeah, you got that yeah. whole world, but like in an hour and a half, two hours, it's it's tough. So it'll be interesting to see what they do in, in the new movie. The the other thing that they could maybe fix. Why does that ghost boy go back to, why does he go to mom? Like, why is he just like, hey, um, hate to bother you, but gonna need you to get a plane ticket. Gotta go back home. Gotta stop your husband. Like, there's a lot of steps. Why doesn't he just go to Judd? It's like, I know you were complaining about that earlier, but he could, maybe it's because Judd is the problem in this whole situation. Judd's not necessarily, like, he's a good guy, but it's his fault. Uh, And maybe Judd won't do the right thing. Maybe that's why he doesn't appear to him. I don't know. Because that that kid definitely wants the best outcome. He knows that it's it's entirely unlikely, but uh, he wants... He wants as many people to survive and have a good life as they can. Yeah, like, I don't understand. (laughs) I don't necessarily get his role in convincing mom. Because she's, like, she doesn't help at all. She gets there, not in the nick of of time, mind you, but Mm -hmm. she gets there and is disposed of. Yeah, like, it's, it's definitely because the spirit knows what her weakness is. And the spirit knows that, that, uh, if, if it calls on Zelda, like, she'll come. And it's crazy because like, as an adult, she's, she confesses that she still wakes up in that same routine that she had as a kid saying, I, 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 oh, is my sister dead yet? I hope my sister's dead. Like it, it's, sometimes it's the first thing she thinks of when she wakes up. Kind of like in, uh, in The Haunting where the bell rings and immediately Ellie gets up to go, to, to, to go answer her mom's call because it's still fresh and it's Nell. still... Nell? Oh, shit. You're close. She, what's the, is it Catherine Zeta-Jones calls her Ellie? She's got like a little nickname for her. No. She probably calls her now. You're right. I tried. I really tried. Good on you. You remembered. We all know that it's not because I watched The Haunting of Hill House. It's because I watched The Haunting so much. Yeah, they are the same story, aren't they? Yeah. Um, Based off. It's got a spiral staircase. It's obviously the same. So I think we can finally talk about mom coming back. The end of the movie is really winding down. Everybody's dead. Dad is losing it. He takes his wife to the cemetery despite the warnings of the ghost who has returned and despite he having argues, killed his son yeah and he argues that because she's so fresh she'll come back and she will be herself which at this point you're just like dude Grassroots like dress. you have learned nothing you this character did not grow he did not learn a thing and he still hasn't addressed death so i mean i guess this is a tragedy and exactly that's, that's just how it rolls but when she comes back, it is the coolest scene. Oh, yeah. It is the best. It is so good with her one shoe slinking on in, and then they reveal that she only has half a face, and it's gross. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Kid ate Judd's lips, ate mom's, like, eye socket out, and she's just got, like, goo and fluids dripping from her while he's kissing her because he misses her so much. Uh, yeah, like a Universal Monster movie, just like Tragedy Strikes. She grabs that fucking knife and buries it in them while they're hugging. Oh, it's so good. Well, you assume. That's we, okay. over black, John. That is true. We, <laughs> we do hear a scream. It could be uh, it could be him distraught over having to kill his wife again also. 
Um, what do you think about when he kills that little boy? <laughs> I, he, shouldn't, I shouldn't giggle, but... He put the gas trail right to the baby. He's like, oh, we cannot forget here. Yeah. Because uh, he blows up the house or whatever. Yeah. But when he injects that kid, it's... Uh, oh, I forgot about that. He's like, ow! And you don't like, play, you play fair. fear. Yeah. Like, I think that's great because I like to think that the entity is trying to make that kid's death as hard for him as possible. Mm. It's not just like, oh, we've we've we're dealing with the three year old and the kid can only say a few words maybe and we're only gonna get so much out of him. I really think that um whatever's possessing his kid wants it to be so bad for him that he has to go and bury him another time. Oh. Yeah, right. Um, which would be great. Uh, it's funny that, that they didn't want to make that kid fall down and hit his head, so they just <laughs> rolled a scene backward. I think that's what it looks like, where he, he fall like, you see him walking backward down the hallway, and then he falls down. I'm sure they just had him leaning on the wall, standing up and taking a few steps, and <laughs> then they rolled that film back. I wanted more pets. <laughs> you wanted more pets? Yeah. There'd be a great fucking scene where just, like, that kid, if, oh, if that kid's, like, all powerful, and he just, like, raises his arms, and all the pets just, like, the, the, the fucking ground shakes and rumbles, and they come up That's out of the- That's wonderful. See, yeah. the problem is, is I, I grew up with R.L. Stein stories, and not Stephen King stories, and mm. so if Pet Cemetery was an R.L. Stein story, it would have been about pets. It would have been okay. about pets coming back from yeah. the dead. Versus the the dark the darkness inside a man's heart. Yeah, I wanted yeah armies of undead bunnies and like fluffy and zombie animals with collars on. Like yeah. that's great. Yeah, like a, yeah, a bunny with like a one broken ear and an eyeball hanging out of its socket. And then somebody's like, oh, it's Misty. <laughs> you wanted the end of Frankenweenie. Yes, yes, I did. That would be really cool. If and it, honestly, if this was an R.L. Stein, you'd have you'd have a book for each of those animals. You'd, you'd, that would be a whole series. Like the Pet Cemetery franchise. Mm-hmm. Okay, so after all said and done, how are you going to rate Pet Cemetery? This is really hard because, uh, well, it's not that hard. I know what my number is. It's in my head. But there are, there are scenes in this movie that are four out of four. Yeah, there's some really scary. cool elements. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a great concept piece. Like, I, I love so many pieces of this movie but you're right like it's just i don't know it like they don't they don't all fit to together perfectly i'm gonna give this a two out of four i'm gonna give this a 2.5 out of four yeah i'm sticking with that uh i'm also gonna give it a two and a half out of four. Oh, cool the zelda stuff is really cool but yeah i just like it, i don't quite understand how everything fits together it will be interesting to see the remake kind of retell this in in more modern storytelling eyes. Zelda's gonna fuck people up. I guarantee it. Like yeah. that's gonna be the scariest part. But I also wonder: should this maybe have been given the miniseries treatment? Um, should this have been given maybe six hours to explore? I said that a lot last year, and uh, I'm trying to say it less this year. But it's yeah, I'm with you. Like especially book adaptations, because something's gonna get cut. Something is getting mm. cut out of the. Uh, I, I'm going to guess it's the nanny stuff. Yeah, I don't think the, she's going to be in it at all. The hanging. I might be the, I'm ho- kind of hoping it's going to be the ghost kid with the brains stuff. Mm. I'm hoping he's n- not there, at least a visual manifestation of him. That's a good question. Do we know what the runtime is in this movie yet? Does that come out? I don't know. I could Google it right now. What are you doing? No, I'm just tapping on the table, making it sound like I'm on a keyboard. It's not, work- <laughs> it's not working. I'm not looking it up. Uh, but yeah, so I'm interested to see how it will do. Yeah, this movie was, I had a lot of surprises. It mm-hmm. was a lot different than I expected it to be. And then like, that scene when Gage had that little top hat on, I'm like, what is happening? Such a brilliant piece. Oh, it's, it's such, 
Such a genius move. But the odd nightmare logic in this movie just doesn't, like, it's amazing for what it is. And then you're just like, wait, but what? Yeah. No, where, like, where did this cut? It's like way out of left field. Yeah. Mary Lambert directed the fuck out of this movie. It, there's just, there's too much material. And uh, and she was in love with all of it. And for good reason. It's, it's all very good. And I have to say Judd is the best character ever. Ever. Such a, like, total Stephen King character to a fucking T. But does he not belong in a fucking horror movie? He should be in every single horror movie. Oh, yeah. Every single one. I wish he was in Creepshow. He could be great in Creepshow. Maybe it's because he reminds me. He would die, though. Everybody does. (laughs) He dies in this! I know. (laughs) That's going to be hard. I'm not looking forward to watching John Lithgow die. I never enjoy that. Oh, my God. I didn't even think of that far. Mm -hmm. (gasps) That's going to make that death hurt. I'm definitely going to cry in the theater. Well, let us know what you thought of Pet Cemetery and Child's Play. Yeah, because I think if we tally up the scores for both of these movies, they both get a 5 out of 8 together. We be 2 out of 5, or 2.5 out of 4. No, I think Child's Play wins. No, because I gave it a 3 and you gave it a 2. Okay. And we both gave... Okay. Yep. So a tie. Yep. Hmm. Interesting. All right, so head to Twitter at NOFS Podcast and let us know what you thought. You can also head to our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash horror fiends of NOFS. We are controlling transmission. Have a trouble with a little? Nightmare on Film Street is brought to you by Baffment & Co. Small batch soap inspired by horror and the macabre. This week's pick is The Edith Bar, inspired by the 2016 film Crimson Peak by Guillermo del Toro. A gentle soap that is feminine, romantic, and haunting. Memories of hollowed halls, eloquent words on love and loss, and a sinister plot operating under the guise of marriage. Get 10% off your order with the code NIGHTMARE at baffmintoncode.com. That's 10% off the code NIGHTMARE for all of your Valentine's and non-Valentine's Day purchases. Co. Made by hands, sometimes severed. Want to reach the cool creeps? Advertise with Nightmare on Film Street to get your brand out of the shadows. For more information, head to nofspodcast.com slash advertise. We're going to stick around for a few more minutes and play a game I've put together called Deadly Dolls or Killer Kids. We're going to test Kim's knowledge of both of those in some obscure 60s, 70s, 40s movies. Um, And she's got to try and determine who the monster really is. And you can get that bonus episode at Patreon at patreon.com slash Nightmare on Film Street in exchange for supporting our show. Nightmare on Film Street is free. It's put together by me and my esteemed colleague, Kim, here. Sup? Yeah. If you think that's worth as little as a dollar an episode, please head over to patreon.com slash nightmare on film street. But uh, you can also help the show out for free by recommending it to a friend, uh, somebody that you think loves horror movies, and leaving a quick little five-star rating and review on iTunes, on Google Play, wherever you're getting this podcast. Yeah, and even just what you guys do already, interacting with us on social media and stuff, that's our only means of getting out there and getting in front of people is social media. We don't really have an advertising budget. It's just word of mouth and the internet. So any likes and shares and just hearing from you guys and comments and stuff like that does so much. But that's it from us this week. I'm Kim. I'm John. Stay Stay creepy. It appears you made it out alive. Just long enough to tell the tale 
of the nightmare on Film Street. Ow! Help us grow the horde. Leave a review on iTunes or wherever you subscribe. Continue this week's conversation on Twitter by following at NOFS Podcast. And as always, more terror can be found lurking on our website, www.nightmareonfilmstreetpodcast.com. Until next week, stay creepy, fiends. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C., Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.